Welcome to the CEC Report. It's the 22nd of June. I'm Robert Barwick. And my guest today is economist John Adams. Welcome, John. Thank you. In this special episode of the CEC Report, we're going to interview John on his warnings of economic Armageddon. Now, the CEC has reported your warnings, John, consistently for a long period of time, so we're very happy to have you on the show. We can actually discuss it in person. Thanks for having me. Um, before we get into it, I just want to point out to the viewers something very important. Uh, two days ago, Martin North from Digital Finance Analytics produced a report on Australia's derivatives danger that's lurking in our banks. And Macro Business ran it under the headline, Is Australia Sitting on a Ticking Derivatives Nuclear Bomb? Now, derivatives is a complex subject. As you know, as an economist, you know, you can speak to the complexity of them, right? Sure. They're little understood, actually. Um, Martin North is a very good analyst. He's, got, he's gone out of his way to try to make them as understandable as possible to the readers. It's really valuable to read this. It's on his, uh, it's on YouTube, and it's on Martin North's blog as well, called the, uh, and his post is called The $37 Trillion Black Hole, or Australia's $37 Trillion Black Hole. So I really urge you to read that post or watch his YouTube video on it. We'll put the link at the bottom of the show on YouTube for people to be able to do that. The CEC put out a press release about it yesterday. In terms of the CEC's campaign for Glass-Steagall, small update, we have, um, it, it's, it's absolutely confirmed that on Monday, uh, the 25th of June, Bob Catter will introduce Glass-Steagall, the, the Glass-Steagall bill, into the Australian Parliament. I'll be up there for the occasion uh, to participate in that event. So we have achieved our first objective here, and um, but this is only the beginning. There'll be a lot more uh, work required to for you, the viewer, to, to participate with us and contact members of parliament on this issue and explain how important it is. And therefore, what I encourage people to do is take this Martin North analysis of derivatives and make sure you, everyone gets it to their members of parliament. Right. So this is a priority. Make sure you have a look at it. Um, so now, though. This is not really a change of subject, it's the same subject, but we're going to move to our interview with John today, because John, you came to our attention a few years ago when you issued this warning of an economic Armageddon. Just quickly, before we get into the details of it, um, explain your background and, you know, as, as a, uh, in, your, in your role with the Coalition for a little bit and what sort of brought you to this, looking at this question. Sure, sure. So, 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 so my background is I'm an economist, um, sort of, you know, I, I have extensive experience in the public sector and the private sector. Uh, 2012, I had the opportunity to become Arthur Sinodinus' economic advisor, who was a senator in the Australian Senate. Uh, I served uh, under him for 18 months uh, before going back to private industry. Um, uh, and uh, so, so, so that's basically um, my extension of, of being um, with the coalition. I, I has historically been a member of the Liberal Party. I quit the Liberals in 2016 um, uh, for, 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 for a range of reasons. Uh, but, uh, but basically, these concerns about these uh, structural imbalances that we'll talk about today in the Australian economy, uh, I could see these trends as early as 2012-13. I was uh, obviously having conversations with members of Parliament when I was an advisor back then. And since that time, they have just continued to get worse. And starting in 2016, I started writing uh, a number of articles for the Daily Telegraph in Sydney about these. Uh, and then starting last year, I, I was writing uh, these economic Armageddon articles um, in uh, news.com.au. Well, look, we've reported it widely, right? Um, everything you've, you've put out, basically. 
But given you're here, sure. let's, let's go through, I want you to go through for the benefit of you and me, the way you brought along some um, visual aids. Yep. Let's go through the state of play as you see it now in the Australian economy and these structural imbalances. So sure, sure. So, 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 so basically, um, so, so the first graph that I've got here is basically talking about the difference between the growth of money and the growth of prices because the government officially says that prices are, uh, are low uh, in terms of inflation but, um, but, 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 the, but the money supply is actually increasing um, quite so rapidly. So you're disputing the definition of inflation Exactly. So 100 years ago, inflation was seen to be the growth of money. Today, economists say it's the growth of prices, and the CPO doesn't include all prices. So, so, so we've got this big difference between what money has done and, and what, um, what prices have done. And then the question is, well, because uh, the, the MPs are basically, you know, uh, getting all this polling saying cost of living is the number one econ yeah. the economic issue uh, among the Australian people. So why is it that the government is saying that inflation is low and yet the people are saying no, inflation is and high? This, has been, this, 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 this dichotomy between inflation and cost of living has been a case for a long time. I remember in the 2007 general election, right, Kevin Rudd proposed a cost of living watch or whatever he called it, right? Because that was the driving factor back then. But inflation, supposedly, all this time has always been low. That's so right. you've got an explanation for it. Sure. So, so, so basically, you know, so looking at the difference between the growth of money and the growth of, pro and the growth of the CPI is, well, if all this credit has been created in the system, well, where has it gone? So the short answer is, is, is it's gone into housing. And this is a graph that, Robbie, I've seen you've put on a previous program where at the last recession, credit to housing proportion of the economy was just above 20%. And today it is above uh, 96%. Whereas uh, when you look at um, what's happened with credit to business as a proportion of the economy for 27 years, it's been flat. And then when you look at non-mortgage uh, debt, it's been flat as well. So, so we can see that uh, they've printed all this money uh, and, and, and it's all been channeled into housing. And that's what's led to um, what I call structural imbalances. So here, here just before you get into that, I just want to, uh, on this housing question though, does, does housing show up in the CPI? Um, because the cost of house, the cost of living on in housing has just gone through the roof. Right? So, 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 I think that the the, the cost of the buildings um, uh, components of that are in the CPI, but land was removed in the, from the CPI. I think in nineteen ninety nine. So, so, so there's uh, been so there's been methodological changes right. that 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 you know that not only Australia but um, the US, New Zealand elsewhere have actually uh, put changes into the, the statistics to underestimate inflation yeah. um, well, for, in for case, political the bubble, purposes. The housing bubble that we call a bubble, that is on land really, right? The, the, in effect, yes. The, the increase in housing costs, the actual building of it is marginal, but the, the land is huge. It's gone, you know, million dollar average median property price in Sydney, this kind of stuff, right? Exactly. So the people relate to that and they'll also relate to this, this question of credit to business because that's what business has been screaming about. It's, it's, um, they've been starved of credit effectively while this has happened. And we've run other ch charts in the past that shows housing going up and business going down. All right, so let's get to the structural imbalance questions. Sure, sure. So, 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 so basically I have a graph here is, so, so, so with all of this money going into the housing sector, what we've been able to see is, is you know, record house prices, record household debt, um, you know, when you look at the net foreign debt, it's above a trillion dollars um, 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 
so, so it's above a trillion dollars now, um, and a lot of that is because you know some of the things that CEC has been talking about about real production. Well, we've lost a lot of our industry, um, and yet we, we've increased our consumption. Yep. How we can increase our consumption without the production? We've been borrowing this money from overseas. This is why the foreign debt's out of control. Uh, and you look at this household savings ratio; it's fallen since uh, it, it shot up after the GFC when people got nervous and they started to save some more. But the national accounts came out two weeks ago, and uh, basically. Uh, uh, household savings is at 2.1%, the lowest since December 2007. Well, can I just, just pull you up on that, John, as an economist? Because what I, what I did learn since the, the 2008 crash is what economists call savings is not actually putting money in the bank for a rainy day. It's paying down debt. Um, they, they just, it's all about the direction of it. So it's paying, been, we were paying down debt for a long time since the crash, and now suddenly we're um, booking up debt again. Is effectively what's been going on. Well, 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 no, well. I mean, so, 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 what happened after the GFC was the proportion of saving in the economy shot up to about ten percent, and now it's back down to two percent. So, 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 you, so, so, I think the key thing to think of, well, who, if two percent of the population yeah. is saving, who's saving? It's going to be either the rich yeah. or the or the elderly preparing for retirement. But who's actually incurring the debt? It's the twenty to forty year old um, Aussie who's actually trying to get into the property market and they're leveraged to the hilt. So. So you've got these massive distributional impacts about well who's holding the debt and who's actually got cash, mm. um, and, and, and they're not the same people. Now you also make another point about that generation you just identified there. They're the generation that have not lived through any kind of recession before. Exactly. So think about the last recession, 1991, go back 18 years, 1973, and if you were born after 1973, you've not gone through genuine tough economic times as a working adult. So a lot of these warnings and, the, and this sort of language about Armageddon, it is designed to get people's attention about something that's coming that they have no conception of. And it probably explains why they've been able to be talked into desperately rushing into the property market even at these ridiculous prices because if they're afraid they'll be locked out of it if they don't get in now that kind of you hear people say that all the time not real not contemplating it's possible that those that they buy a house and suddenly it can come down again right and that's if they haven't had that experience that's why they're, they're so susceptible to that and and, and 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 that is a great point so this is why in may i put out a column about uh, outlining about 10 myths uh, and so, you know, yes. there, there, are, there are some people who sort of say prices will never come down or if interest rates go up, it'll only be gradual. And, and so, so technically, the, these, um, these myths or misconceptions are, are, are false. Um, things can radically get out of control. And this is why we put out this piece in May to basically say, here's some common misperceptions that's leading to complacency among the Australian people. Um, and here's actually the reason why these misconceptions just actually are not true. Yeah, I've got a copy of our press release on your 10 myths here. And the first one was, there will be no financial crisis in our lifetime. But that sounds like famous last words. Listen, let's take a quick break. Sure. We'll continue this afterwards. Beauty. Welcome back to the CEC Report, where I'm interviewing economist John Adams on his warnings of economic Armageddon in Australia. Now, John, last week, news.com.au ran an article by you on six scenarios. Yep of economic Armageddon, how it might play out. Right? That's right. Because um, it, it, it's very hard to predict this stuff precisely, and especially time-wise. Like the, if, you, if you try to make an economic forecast around a time frame, you're, right, you're yeah. setting yourself yeah. up for, for failure, obviously, yeah. often. Yeah. But we can say with certainty 
that there's a definite problem. So what you've done is you've laid out six scenarios about how this might play out. So let's go through those now. Sure. So, 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 so there's a lot of analysis out there to sort of say that and because we've got the biggest bubble in Australian history, at the same time we've got the biggest bubble in the, in the history of the world, that something is going to blow up in the system. And the question is, well, how's that going to look like? And there's a range of different theories that people have put out there, both in Australia as well as overseas. And, and what I wanted to convey to the viewer... Uh, or, or to the reader is to say that um, one of these six is going to happen. I mean, I get questions from politicians all the time is to say, well, is there a soft landing? Is there a jail, you know, get out of jail free card? And I sort of said, in the history of humanity, you have not seen a bubble this big yeah. that, has, has, that has resulted in, in, in something that um, doesn't cause major economic disruption. So what I've tried to do is basically put, put, a, um, put a diagram together. People interested in looking at, at some of the ex technical explanations, they go on the news.com um, sort of link that you guys will show um, where, where I describe these scenarios. But in effect is, if you've got a massive bubble, think about a balloon. Um, if, if, you, if you put a pin through it, it blows up. Um, uh, and that pin is interest rates. So if interest rates go up, if they do quantitative tightening, you're going to see one of a number of things. It could be... Um, uh, a debt deflationary depression or recession. It could be, uh, you know, that if, if, if the debt blows up in the financial sector, if the debt blows up um, in, in, in terms of governments, just say like the Italians, there's a European debt crisis. If people default on their, their foreign debt, um, like may, what may happen in Turkey, that's a local currency crisis. So, so there are three things that if they try to pop the balloon, but if they try to keep the balloon intact and put more into, air yeah. into it by printing more money, the derivatives, etc., then you're going to actually ruin the money. And this is either runaway inflation, hyperinflation, stagflation, or a global currency crisis. So, so, so these are the basic six scenarios that, so, that I can it's, see. It's a, it's a catch-22. In terms of the way the, the system operates at the moment under the control of central banks, etc., it's a catch-22. If they, if they say, oh, what, we'll do what we've done for the last 10 years, right, with quantitative easing and explaining that, well, as you just said, you're going to have... There will be we've already got inflation and asset prices bubbles, yeah. which is already hurting people a lot yeah, anyway. That's right. right. But it's, it will get a lot worse. Or if they say, no, 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 it's time. We'll see the U.S. Federal Reserve at the moment, as you know, they're talking themselves into raising rates. They're that's saying, right. Oh, everything's everything's looking good. Yep. And I think you agree with us. They're misinterpreting U.S. economic data, like unemployment. Right. They, they're saying that our oh, unemployment's low, when in reality, it's they. I mean, in fact, you can probably talk about this. They count unemployment now differently than they used to. Sure, right? sure. And so, if they misinterpret that data and say let's let's raise up interest rates, it's now time they can blow the system that way. So, 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 so yes. Yeah, so there is evidence to suggest that uh, unemployment, the official rate of unemployment in America today, is. Uh, you know, it's actually higher than what the government actually states, and inflation is higher than, than what the official measures say. But there was, I think, last month, the New York Federal Reserve uh, put out their underlying inflation gauge, 3.2% year-on-year, the highest reading since 2006. So, so, so we've had this printing. Everyone said inflation's coming. Well, now, even with these rigged statistics, um, the inflation is starting to come through. Um, you're getting runaway inflation in some of the emerging countries, but also in the developed countries. It, you know, this inflation is going above the central bank 2% band or the 2% target, and we're starting to seeing um, either interest rates going up or quantitative easing winding back. And that, at some point, will... will uh, because if you raise rates, uh, the debt services and costs go up, and at some point in a globally financially integrated system, um, someone's going to default. 
And when that default happens with a major institution that, uh, or a major government, that is when the system will come down. And in Australia, the default the fear will be on consumers who have bought houses and can't afford them, right? In the United States, as you know, the default fear is about corporate debt, huge mountain of corporate debt that's been you know, built up under these short and in low interest rates. And so there's, yep. there's warnings galore on all these. It's, you know, what you can say without saying with certainty when something's going to happen, etc., you can say with absolute certainty this can't last. It, yeah. So, 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 well, I mean, so the bubble can go on for a while, I think, but the question is, it, it can't go on forever. So, at some point, it's got to come to a head. But you're right. If, you know, the Chinese, the debts in the financial system, the US system, the corporates, uh, the European system, the governments. It, for, for Australia, it's in the, it's in the household sector. So, different government, so different countries have the debt dis distributed in different parts of their economy. But it, it's a massive debt bubble. Yeah. That's why they call it the everything bubble nowadays. That's, that's right. The thing. Exactly. And you've got a you've got a chart here that might terrify some people just to illustrate how quickly things can change. Sure, sure. So, 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 so I've got this graph uh, which looks at Italian two-year bonds and this happened last month in Italy with the political instability when the, uh, when the League and the Five Star Movement tried to put their cabinet um, appointees uh, or suggestions to the Italian president, some yeah. of them knocked back. So one of the things I've been saying to policymakers is if you think you've got time to prepare uh, policy and the Australian people for this. Well, just look at what happened at the two-year bond. In two and a half weeks, the yield shot up by 2,000% from negative uh, 0.138 to uh, 2.738, um, and, and it just exploded. Now, so just, just, just for the better for the viewer, because they might wonder the 2,000%, but you're talking about that, that increase from minus 1.38 to 2,000 to 2.738%, even though 2.738% on the surface isn't a big interest rate. Yes. But that rate that, of growth is 2,000% in two weeks. Two and a half weeks, that's correct. Two and a half weeks. Two thousand percent, two and a half weeks. And, and so, 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 you know, you look at the, you know, the, the, the deputy governor of the Reserve Bank in February gave a speech, and, and you look at the statistics in the speech, about 27% of mortgage holders in Australia have paid less than one month in advance on their mortgage. Uh, and, and most of those people have variable interest. So the, you know, the risk is, is, is that... 80, don't we say 80% of Australians have a variable interest rate? So, so yeah, so, so the, I was emailed the Reserve Bank earlier this year. They came back to me and they said that as an event last year, all mortgage holders uh, in Australia are 80% variable. Um, and, and I guess my concern is, is that if you've got one in four that have paid less than one month in advance, and if they're on, uh, on variable interest uh, loans, they don't have a lot of savings in the bank, um, you get the derivatives popping up, like blowing up like they did in Italy, global interest rates go up, the banks then have to absorb yep. that cost, pass it on to the customers, where then the cash flows and the budgets of households will, can get squeezed very, very quickly. Very fast, yep. You know, months if not weeks. Um, and, 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 uh, and then these people could, could be caught out uh, and, and they're not prepared. So, 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 so when you... When and 40% of Australia's bank uh, wholesale borrowing comes from overseas. So they are very exposed to, if our central bank can keep interest rates on hold or low forever, but they'll still be exposed to these developments overseas. Exactly. And, 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 and when I wrote the myth around interest rates will only go up gradually, this is the point I made. Because yep. we have $1 trillion worth of foreign debt, if the inter global interest rates go up, then, then our debt, uh, sorry, our, our, our repayments to the foreign market will shoot up uh, overnight, and then we have to pass those costs on. Yep. All right, John, let's take another quick break and we'll finish this after the break. Sure.
Welcome back to the CEC Report, where I'm interviewing economist John Adams on his warnings of economic Armageddon. Now, John, just quickly, sure. Telstra's just announced 8,000 layoffs, and this has to have an effect on the property market because these people would have mortgages. Indeed. So, 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 so one of the one of the uh, things that Treasury and the Reserve Bank is saying about why they're not concerned about household debt is, is is who's holding the debt. Leading into the GFC, when you look at subprime, a lot of poor people in America held the debt, and then when they when they didn't have the capacity to pay, that, that's when the system came down. Well. In Australia, the, the, when you look at the distribution of, of where the debt is, a lot of the debt is it was people with middle to upper incomes. Right. And, and, and Telstra announced with the 8,000 jobs this week that frontline services would not be affected and that middle to upper um, um, uh, employees would be, would be let go. And a lot of these people would be holding the, yeah. the, all, all of the big mortgages. So, so, you know, now Telstra announced that the job losses would happen over a number of years, so it's not going to happen overnight, but, but this will have an impact. All these things have to combine. You know, Absolutely. The, like the flow of, of uh, interest-only resets that are going through the economy in the next three or four years. Um, all right, just quickly before we finish, you spend a lot of time talking to everybody about this subject, especially members of parliament. Sure. What are you getting from them? How aware are they? What are you finding from them? Are you confident in their taking this on board? Sure. So, 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 so what I would say is uh, uh, some members of parliament are concerned. Uh, I would say that uh, some coalition members of parliament, uh, even though the Prime Minister and the, and, the, and the Treasurer are saying something different, the backbench don't actually believe what their own Prime Minister is actually saying. Um, so so, so there, are, there are some people who, who don't think it's an issue. Uh, there are some people who don't really understand the issue, and part of my role is with these columns is to warn the public, but also to educate policymakers about the concerns. So I think there's a range of opinion, uh, but but I guess with the ones that do have a genuine concern, uh, I mean, where I've been trying to press for them is to um, you know you know try to put in certain actions to raise things with the PM, with the Treasurer, so that you know I, I guess you know why am I doing this? I'm doing this to ensure that the ordinary mum and dad who's got to work who may not understand economics, um, you know, just like with the GFC, they didn't see it coming, the system blew up, they lost their house, they lost yeah, all their yeah, savings, yeah. Uh, and they're saying, well, why didn't the government, why didn't the system protect me? Well, I'm, I want to ensure that people are aware of the risks uh, and that there is uh, certain actions being taken by policymakers to ensure that the middle class don't get wiped out. Well, and we, we've had some uh, people say to us, that one of the problems in Parliament is there's a real lack of financial literacy. And I think you found the same thing, right? Yeah, well, yeah. So, 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 I mean, monetary economics is a specialist branch within the economics field. And, you know, there's probably a very small handful of MPs who have got a reasonable understanding of this stuff. So, so part of my role is, is to obviously educate. But, but, but to, the, to the extent that, you know, CEC, um, and, and obviously, to be clear, I'm not a member of the CEC, so I'm politically independent. But, you know, you know, your supporters, the general public, for them to understand these issues, to get involved in the political process so that we can ensure that... Um, um, you, know, you know, the global bubble will pop at some point. So, yeah. so we're not going to escape it, but we can actually try to limit the amount of damage it's going to actually well, have. Well, as, Al as Alcoholics Anonymous say, you know, it's going to solve the problem until you admit you, admit you have one. And what yeah. we've been battling with, the reason we have common ground for a long time, just denial. Yeah. Right? And um, hold up your book there. I want you to show people. <laughs> this is the man who wrote a book on Bernie Madoff, and John found this book in a bookshop. No one would listen is the title of the book, right? And we've, we, that's, you can experience that. But I will say to the viewer, um, look, your role is very important. 
right? Because we need, if, as long as we get people to snap out of denial on this and address it, we can figure out a way to solve it. It's why the CEC has fought very hard for the Glass-Steagall legislation that we're now going to get introduced into Parliament next week because we knew this crash would, was coming. We were never, never in denial. We've got to make sure that members of Parliament aren't in denial. So, John, thank you very much for joining us today on the thank, CEC Report. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in, viewer, and tune in next week for more of the CEC Report. Thank you.